Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Vig and Juice. Here with me, as always, are Blake and Radney. Good morning, Blake. Good morning, Kevin. Radney, how you doing? Good, my friend. How are you? Excellent. Blake, you just got back from your monthly trip to Vegas? Sure did. How was it this time? It was profitable, as always. All right. <laughs> So we like to hear. Was there any uh, any sports action while you were out there? There was. I, I hit a couple parlays, which were good. Okay. What about the uh, Kentucky Derby? Did that affect you at all? I did not. I did not mess with the Kentucky Derby. Okay. I'm glad I didn't too. Yeah, there was a uh, the some sort of interference call there, and on the favorite. Yeah, and so I, I heard that nine million dollars. Uh, yeah, nine million dollars swing there. Oh wow. I'm not sure if that's profitable or not for Vegas. Seems like they always find a way. To make money. I'm sure it was a very uh, unbiased decision. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I don't think there's any uh, integrity fee in, in horse wagering. So what we're talking about today is the Wire Act, you know, as we're going through our history of sports betting. I don't know that there's any more monumental piece of legislation regarding sports betting than the Wire Act, especially in light of the DOJ opinion that came out last November. And we'll get to that. But before we actually dive into the text of the Wire Act, I want to take you guys back to the 1950s, right? I want to I think about what the United States looked like or was like at that time, which kind of got us to the Wire Act. So I want to see if you guys can help me identify or if you guys know some of the top songs from the 50s. Okay, I have a list here. <laughs> what, what year are we talking about? We're talking about the 50s, the 50s, just the entire 50s, yeah. Okay, so like Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley's one. Keep going. Um, <laughs> oh, like uh, Johnny Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, good. Come on, this is the gold. So walk the line for song. Walk I mean, the line is the fourth top song. This is according to discjockey.org. So it's a .org, so that in my mind gives it more credibility yeah. than a .com. Definitely more than a .net. Dot net sure. at the low, low end. We've established that in previous podcasts. I'm going to come off of uh, Radney's artist selection, so I'll say Blue Suede Shoes Blue for Suede one of the Shoes. songs. Blue Suede Shoes, yep, in there. Nice. Who are some of the big crooners from that day, guys? Oh, it's uh, we got the Rat Pack. You got the Rat Pack. There yeah. you go. We so, got all the guys. Uh, Sinatra. Sinatra. Dean Martin. Dean Martin. Um, I don't see Sammy Davis Jr. on here. Let me just give you a couple more of these names. You guys are doing... Very poorly here. Terrible, I would say. Uh, Richie Valens, oh, La Bamba. Yeah. La Bamba. Jerry Lee Lewis, Chuck Berry, Nat King Cole, Little Richard, Tutti Frutti. Yeah. I've seen you singing that right around the office. So yeah, all the time. Billy Holiday. Look, a lot of these names are on there. So that's music in the 50s, right? You can think about it. It's very upbeat. Lots going well, on. Kevin was born in the 70s, so he's a little bit better at this than we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's... I have a list here, top 10 movies of the 50s, okay? okay. Just top 10 movies. All right. I want to see if you guys can get one, <laughs> and then I want to see if you guys have each seen at least one of these things. One of these I know for sure I saw in school, and I'm guessing you Again. guys might have as well. So top movies of the 50s. Was Scarface? No. No, it's like an 80s as, movie. Yeah, 70s. 70s. <laughs> um, Gone with the Wind? Nope. I'm pretty sure Gone with the Wind was in the 40s. It must have been. Little House on the Prairie. That is not a movie. That's a show. Blake, you're about to be ejected from this contest. This is a, a sports betting show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Let's get back on top. I'm trying to set the um, 50s. Let's see. I, I would say... Um, I am certain that you guys have heard of every single one of these movies. Well, Casablanca? Nope. That's in the 40s, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was the 30s. I guess I'm an old soul. I'm going to give you guys one more chance. Okay. What about um, Mock to Kill a Mockingbird? Kill a Mockingbird? Nope. 
that would have been, I think that was written in the late 50s. That would have been in the 60s. Okay. No. Okay. So here are the top 10 movies according to imdb.com Rear Window. Not heard it, not seen it. North by Northwest, heard of it. Bridge on River Kwai. Excellent, excellent movie. I've seen mm. that. On the Waterfront, have not seen it. Rebel Without a Cause. Mm-hmm. You guys heard that one? Yeah. Come on, Blake. James Dean. It's a great one. 12 Angry Men. Don't know. Oh, yeah. I know that. What about Shane? Did you not watch Shane in grade school? I feel like we watch this every year. Shane. This must have been a Texas thing. This cowboy, he comes and meets his family and helps him in a time of crisis. Then he leaves. There's a great great Snoopy comic about Shane. Giant, Seven Samurai, and A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, Stella. The other thing about the 50s, big, big, big in the 50s, the mob. The mob. There we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that gets us back into sports betting. Okay. So in the 50s, the mob absolutely controlled all the sports betting, right? Now, there were wires, there were telephones, right? There was means of communicating in between uh, states at this point in time. Obviously, it wasn't as prevalent or as easy as it is today. But you had the mob that was controlling all the bookmaking, controlling all the sports betting. And I don't even know if we were really upset about the sports betting. We're just upset about the mob, right? So we had to come up with a way to try and make this illegal. So this gets us to the 1961 Wire Act, all right? And I think we've all got some notes on here, so I'll give it, turn the microphone over. Who wants to pick it up and tell us a little bit about the Wire Act, who was pushing for it, and what it says? The AG, Robert Kennedy, was pushing for it pretty hard. His reasoning behind it was to curb the organized crime with the mob and then also to give the states a means of enforcing their state laws on gambling. So he pretty much wrote his brother JFK a letter and explained to him why he thought that this wire act federal a federal law should uh, pass and control sports betting in the US. So I found here online some suggested remarks. These were remarks that the speechwriters had written for President Kennedy in 1961. Let me read you a couple of lines from it. Organized crime exacts an increasingly higher price each year, both in money and morality, right? Here's the morality thing that we've talked about in the past. It is no longer a local problem. It is a national problem and responsibility. I welcome these new laws as invaluable weapons in the unremitting fight against organized crime. They will permit the federal government to take more effective action against the rackets and be of greater assistance to local law enforcement. These bills go a long way to prohibit the use of interstate facilities for the conduct of many unlawful enterprises which make up organized crime today. Effectively enforced, they will strike a heavy blow for law and order. So that were, those were the remarks that Kennedy was reading or reading from. As, um, as this bill was being passed. Now, one of the interesting things about the Wire Act is what is actually the instrument of betting, right? So, Rad, what is a wire communication facility? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's taken on a bunch of different meanings over time. I think in our current nomenclature or, or, or language, we don't really use that, so we won't even know what it means in, in present-day English, so to speak. Let me read this part of the definition from the U.S. Code. Mm -hmm. The term wire communication facility means any and all instrumentalities, personnel, interesting, and services, among other things, the receipt, forwarding, or delivery of communications, used or useful in the transmission of writings, signs, pictures, and sounds of all kinds by aid of wire, cable, 
or other like connection between the points of origin and reception of such transmission. So very clearly phone lines, mm-hmm. right? You made it pretty timeless, though, because that would include internet. That too, would include yeah. internet. But not wireless communication. But not wireless. Would it include, if I had a two cans with a really long string? Definitely included. That's wire or cable or other like connection. Other like right? connection. But you know, wireless is interesting because wireless is not wire cable, but I mm-hmm. think that was a like connection. It includes a cable, though. Techn- I mean, it's still going through the lines. Well, they had it's... wireless communication back then. They had radio. Yeah, uh, they had radio waves, and and some of the the language back when passing the law, they said they didn't need to address that because they thought I believe it was the FCC had enough regulation over radio waves that they thought that they would be able to handle anything that involved gambling. So it's interesting that the internet and wireless communications have been kind of included in the Wire Act when initially they were arguably left out of it. So. The Wire Act basically made it illegal to use the phone lines to place bets, to set lines, to communicate regarding these things. And this came down in 1961. And, you know, from, from what we know, it was pretty successful, right? It was, it was good. It, it kind of operated unimpeded until 2011 when Illinois and New York said, hey, we want to start selling our lottery tickets online, Right. And we want to sell these things and we want people to be able to log into a website or perhaps download a mobile app to buy lottery tickets. And people said, well, you're going to frustrate the Wire Act. You, know, you can't do that. The Wire Act is just is interstate, right? Crossing straight lines. Yeah. So when you talk about intrastate within one state, then the Wire Act shouldn't apply. However, the problem is if I'm in New York or Illinois and I'm just buying something on the Internet in New York or Illinois – that internet communication is likely crossing into other places. I read that New York was going to use servers in Texas and co-location spots in Maryland or something like that. So it was going to cross. So they went to the Department of Justice in 2011 and asked the Department of Justice, hey, does the Wire Act apply to this? Can we do these lotteries? And you know, Rodney, what did the Department of Justice say? You're right. The Wire Act continued from the 60s all the way up in 2011. What's interesting is that RICO was also passed during that kind of that same time period and became a much better tool to fight organized crime. So you see the Wire Act kind of falling out of favor during the 60s and 70s and even the 80s. And then the 90s starts kind of coming back again. Because um, the internet gets exactly. hot, hot, right? People start playing online poker. Exactly. Yeah. So now the internet changes things. Now this is back out and, and the Wire Act is seen as, as a great tool. In 2011, you know, as, as you're saying, Kevin, with this request of, hey, we want to do this lottery online approach DOJ, they say they take what is considered to be the narrow view, right? So throughout time, there had been a narrow view of the Wire Act and a broad view. The narrow view, in its shortest, most succinct way of stating it, just says that the Wire Act only applies to sports gambling. No other forms of betting or wagering is within the purview of the Wire Act. So if you're a lottery, good for you, you're outside of it, states can do what they want. We're not, we don't apply yeah, so it only applies to sports betting. This 2011 opinion said that. Now, what's interesting is that, first of all, this was the state of New York who's asking for this interpretation, mm-hmm. maybe the most powerful state in the country, mm-hmm. right? And then secondly, the opinion came down in favor of the states mm-hmm. that wanted to do their online lotteries, mm-hmm. right? My guess is that today, if New York wanted to sell, if New York sells its online lottery, it can probably pretty easily do it within its state, without having the, the Wire Act come into play, whereas 2011 might have been a little bit more difficult given where the servers are located and bouncing the information through the internet. 
So I don't know if this problem would even come up today. And I also wonder if a state without as much influence as New York or if Nevada had asked, Nevada said, oh, by the way, we'd like to do our, we'd like to sell our lottery tickets online. I wonder how the DOJ might have then interpreted the Wire Act if it would have been as favorable for the non-sports betting companies. Now, I think a lot of people listening are probably DFS players out there or, or in the field business of DFS. Just note, we'll talk about this in more detail later, but DFS was specifically excluded by the 2006 UIGEA, the Uniform Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, right? So that's why we're not really having a conversation about D DFS right now. We're more just talking about sports betting. So you've got this 2011 DOJ opinion, which kind of confirms that the Wire Act only applies to sports betting. Now, as Rad mentioned, these other tools came up. You had RICO and you had uh, PASPA. These other tools came up to help narrow the Wire Act. But we had a pretty significant movement in this last fall, right, when the DOJ came out and reversed their opinion. Now, let's understand, you know, Rad, walk us through this. If the DOJ just opines on something that's not law, exactly. right? Yeah. So what is that? What does that mean? Well, I mean, first of all, explain what happened last fall, and then let's talk about what that really means. Sure. So, so last fall, the DOJ was asked to revisit its 2011 opinion on whether or not the narrow view of the Wire Act was the correct view. In November, they came out and overruled their previous letter opinion and said, no, actually, the Wire Act is much broader. We're going to take the broad interpretation. Essentially, they said that the 2011 letter improperly read ambiguity into the statute. And if you just take a clear meaning of the statute in statutory construction terms, from a legal perspective, if a statute says something and it's clear, that controls. Now, if it's not clear, well, then the language can't control. You need to find alternate resources to define that statute. So 2011, they said, look, this is kind of vague, but if you look at how the different aspects of the Wire Act itself relate to each other. So one of the big examples is the Wire Act has a safe harbor exemption that says, if you're going from one state that has legal gambling in sports to another state that has legal sports gambling, and you're using communications through there that will support betting and wagering, well, that's not prohibited by the Wire Act. So 2011 opinion says, well, that doesn't make sense. How are you going to have like this really broad view and then only exempt one little thing out of it? The proper way to read this is that it's sports gambling because then this exemption applies to what came before it. Otherwise, this exemption is really toothless because anything else would still apply, really, right? But they, you know, under the 2018 opinion, they said, well, we're not convinced by that. We just think that they carved out a really tiny thing and don't look at statutory construction of other statutes. You brought up Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, you know, 2011 opinion already had that and said, look, you have to read it within the guise of all other prohibited statutes involving gambling. They said in 2018, no, it doesn't apply. You can't read that as a part of this. It's, it's different. The, how they define bets and gambling is different. So it doesn't apply here. And then they said, don't look at the legislative history. So all of this stuff that we have with RFK going in front of Congress and testifying about sports gambling, sports gambling, sports gambling, organized crime, organized crime, out the window. So 2018 really just relies on the statute itself and says, look at it, at the way it's written. And anyone reading it could agree with 2018 opinion that it, although my main disagreement is that it does seem very ambiguous, but as written, you know, the broad view, this is, it applies to lotteries, it applies to sports gambling, it applies to any type of betting and wagering throughout the states. So that point you make about 
the impetus for the Wire Act from the 50s and the 60s and the mob organized crime. To my knowledge, the mob wasn't setting lines for poker players. The mob wasn't using the phone to talk about bingo. Right? It was really just sports betting, horse racing, which is absolutely going to be swept up under sports betting. So back to your argument for legislative intent. I do think if you're just freshly reading the Wire Act, especially mm-hmm. paragraph A, it's very confusing. And I like I found this line in the opinion from last November. It says, while the Wire Act is not a model of artful drafting. Mm-hmm. So I like how they're just calling everyone out rather than taking a look, like you said, at the legislative history, at what was going on in the country at that point in time, and trying to really understand what was the intent of the law. For those of you who haven't seen it, Let's you, just read it. No, sure. Okay. I'm going to read it slowly. So confusing. And then yeah. let's break it down. Yeah. Okay. Whoever being engaged in the business of betting or wagering knowingly uses a wire communication facility for the transmission in interstate or foreign commerce of bets or wagers or information assisting in the placing of bets or wagers on any sporting event or contest, comma, here's the first comma, or for the transmission of a wire communication which entitles the recipient to receive money or credit as a result of bets or wagers, comma, or for information assisting in the placing of bets or wagers, comma, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than two years or both. So there's really three phrases in there that are set off by commas. You've got the first one that says, knowingly uses a wire for the transmission in interstate or foreign commerce of bets or wagers or information assisting in placing of bets or wagers on any sporting event or contest. That's clear. That's key there. There's no comma there. And it says sporting events or contests. Then you get to a comma. Or for the transmission of a wire communication which entitles the recipient to receive money or credit as a result of bets or wagers. Note it doesn't say of such bets or wagers, which would refer back to the on sporting events or contests. And it doesn't say as a result of bets or wagers on sporting events or contests. And then again, there's a comma. Or for information assisting in the placing of bets or wagers. Again, not such bets or wagers and not placing of bets or wagers on any sporting event or contest. So why do we think that they would have left out sporting event or contest? They say, they say better wagers one, two, three times. If you include betting or wagering four times, but they say on any sporting event or contest only once. Mm-hmm. So why is it that they would leave out the any sporting event or contest, but continue to reuse bets or wagers? There's no good answer to that, and that's why the 2018 opinion came out the way it did, because this is what they're saying. Like, look at it. We write sentences for a living. You know, why would you ever write it this way? And the, the only answer the 2011 opinion has, and, and from my perspective, just kind of the better reading, is that this is just inartful. It's poorly drafted. It's ambiguous. Like the placement of the commas, like you said, there's three phrases, but the first one is kind of two phrases, and then the other ones are singular. And then again, if you go to that exemption, you know, think of it this way. If this involves all betting and wagering of any type, then why would betting and wagering that's legal between two states that's not sports betting, right? Let's say it's poker. Let's say it's a lottery. That is legal in New York and Illinois. And we're going to send communications between New York and Illinois that involve that. Well, that's illegal still because it's not sports. So it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. You pro- prescribed it, but sports is somehow made, I guess, unique in the safe harbor, which is, I guess, under Section B or C right below it. So that's what 2011 
hung its hat on a lot. It doesn't make sense. If it's legal in two states, regardless of the type of gambling it is, then it, then it should have been exempted. And the reason that they only use sports again that time is because they really thought that they were only applying it to sports. Otherwise, you get a weird situation where legality between two states of any type of gambling other than sports still illegal because the Wire Act is so broad. Right. So to clarify, you can call from New Jersey to, to Nevada mm-hmm. and make a bet, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay because that's an exemption under paragraph B of the Wire Act. Well, I think it says – I don't think it says you can place a bet. I think it says transferring of information that's – Assisting in placing Assisting in placing a bet. So I'm not exactly sure what that means either. You know, like what is assisting? What is too far? When is it actually placing the bet versus the assisting? So if I'm just in Nevada and I'm on a computer or Jersey and a computer and I just put it in and then the computer does the rest, maybe that's legal because I didn't do yeah, it myself. Yeah, I would think you're not actually placing the bet over the wire. You're placing the bet on the on the home server mm-hmm. wherever it is, right? I think so that's the wire right. Is just is just assisting it. One question that I would ask though about why they wouldn't carve out for any type of lottery is if you're doing like a state lottery, it's just the state. So if you're you know, in New York and you have the, the New York state lottery, why would you carve out a different place that has a legal state lottery where sports is an international thing? So you're betting on games that are all around the country. There's, there are lotteries that are multi-state lotteries. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, most of the time, that's exactly right. But there are... I think what it is Powerball mm-hmm. and a few others that they have like a mm-hmm. bunch of states have signed on to say we're all a part of this one. Okay. And so they, they would need this in order to it continue. And, and what's interesting, so you have to go back to the opinion, right? November 5th, 2018, opinion comes out that January, they say we'll give you 90 days to comply, essentially. We're not going to enforce it. That 90 days is, is up. Right. I think New Hampshire has filed a lawsuit to try and stop its enforcement because they they could lose you know, millions of dollars. I think that opinion was drafted without a lot of forethought. I think it was, a what, what I've read, it, it was kind of a favor by the Trump administration for, what's it, Sheldon Adelson? The, mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. When the I was- power broker in Nevada, who's just trying to keep all gambling in Nevada. Exactly. I, I will not name names, but when I was a young attorney uh, at another law firm, so there was some legislative movement in Texas to probably try and open up gambling. There, there is almost every year, but it's a lot harder here because it's a constitutional prohibition against gambling Texas. Well, our client who had all these moral arguments that we were making to the legislature about how bad gambling is and all the rest was a was a casino just across mm-hmm. the border. So it's it's always that way, right? Sheldon Allison and, and Vegas, they don't want the opening up of online gambling because they view it as a risk. The threat to their business. Do we know if any of those interstate lotteries though existed at the time that the Wire Act was enacted? That's a good question. I don't think so. No, I, I don't. I don't. I would yeah. think not. Just from a pure function of how difficult it would be to communicate, yeah. to share information about how much has been purchased and whatnot. Okay, so you know we're left in a position where this opinion came out on the Wire Act last fall. It was soundly booed across the internet from you know all kinds of legal scholars. It was also interesting. The opinion came out in the wake of the entire country seemingly to get more comfortable with sports betting, right? As the company becomes more progressive or a little bit more open-minded as far as just letting people make their own decisions rather than the government making it for them. 
And so Rad mentions, you know, this was really could have been just a power play. I would hate to think that the DOJ is being influenced on a power play. I, I do think that there's argument there that the language is ambiguous and that you can break it down into the three phrases. And as Rad mentioned, one of the phrases really has two clauses in it. So you can really break it down. And, and I understand their argument. But now we're left kind of in limbo, right? In legal limbo. And what I wonder is, are we going to come out and supersede this, which seems to be the, the right thing to do? is just given the landscape today of sports betting, given the instrumentalities that we have across the internet, whether it's cable, whether it's wireless, all the different forms of communication, probably makes sense to just re-legislate the whole thing rather than trying to make amendments. You're going to with Frankenstein legislation that's very difficult to piece together. I, I guess it's good for our jobs, right? I mean, people have to call us to interpret things. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then I think next we'll probably get into uh, the Travel Act and uh, and PASPA, which will probably be our next kind of two pieces of legislation. And we'll we'll talk about how those relate to the Wire Act. So with that, we'll wrap up this third episode of Vegan Juice. Really appreciate you listening. Feel free to send us comments. If you've got any questions, you can just hit us up at podcasts at VelaWoodLaw.com. Encourage you to check out the website, check out the other Vegan Juice episodes. You can find them on iTunes or on our website, and we'd love to hear from you. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Talk to you next time.